0: Hold that, please. Level five. Thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertz in the Bypassal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to Ertz in the been bingus at the Bypassal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh yeah. That sounds important. Does
1: work chattel sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how.
3: Hello, you football crazy cats. This is the ultimate preview as all nine midweek fixtures are looked at with the same level of examination as Jack Grealish's overturned penalty. Yay, they got one right. Talking of overturning decisions, Manchester City will play in the Champions League next season. Coming up, Frank Fortas' Blades Blunt Blues, but don't worry, Chelsea fans, you've got Norwich next and Leicester have got Fox by their own feet. Mourinho's won every North London derby now that he's taken charge of, but if Jose still feels like the Spurs fans haven't taken to him yet, then imagine being Steve Bruce at Newcastle. He's one of their own. At least they can have a chat about it on Wednesday night. Well, there's not much else to worry about for Newcastle and Tottenham. A duel for 10th? And as Alex Crook tweeted on Saturday, That relegation picture is sorted now. Yeah, that aged well All on the podcast that is constructed and crafted with the same level of thought and detailed planning As Raheem Sterling's hat-trick goal at the weekend It's the Game Day Preview Podcast from Talk Sport
4: This is
3: Game Day Hello to Premier League 100 Club member and former England forward Darren Bent That weekend blew my mind, what about you?
5: yeah it's fantastic I mean some shock results I mean I, I do feel a bit sorry for, for, for um, Watford and West Ham they probably thought right we've got that win Oof, bit of breathing space and everyone else wins so <laughs> it's a bit I West for Ham
3: and Watford winning on the same weekend who would who would have Adam and Eve did? <laughs> <laughs> it's unreal. Um, uh, a quick word uh from Alex Crook because um you've been following this Manchester City story. Obviously in the last twenty-four hours we've learnt that they are going to play Champions League football next season.
2: What does this mean for the rest of the league? Well, first and foremost, it means you have to finish in the top four to qualify for the Champions League. So it's been a, a nightmare weekend extending into Monday. If you're a Leicester City supporter, it probably means that Wolves have got too much to do now as well um, to muscle their way into the top four. Uh, and it means that um, Chelsea and Manchester United have to keep winning. But I guess it also means that the Manchester City fans can rest easy with the future of the likes of Kevin De Bruner. I mean, I think he came out and said he was going to stay anyway, yeah. but maybe he had an inkling <laughs> they were going to win their appeal. So it was almost a free shot for him. And it, it means that Pep Guardiola has, has no reason to leave anytime soon either. Um, Darren?
3: You've been working on this story with Laura on breakfast over the last couple of days. Is FFP dead?
5: You'd have to say potentially, yeah. I mean, because listen, they've, they've been hit with a fine so clearly they've done something wrong. Do you know what I mean? It's not all, it's not all rosy. £10 million
3: but... quid, That's what, I mean, literally, like, they found that down the back of one of the tunnel club oh, seats.
5: F- uh, of course. Do you know what I mean? And, and so that shows that they, they've done something wrong. But at the same time, you're right. For the club going forward, they haven't got to worry about the likes of De Bruyne, Raheem Sterling, these guys moving on, or even their manager. Um, potentially leaving because of the two-year ban. So I think for them, it's, it's positive news for everyone else around them. Obviously, they're going to be annoyed because you're right now. You have to finish in the top four to get into to the Champions League spots. But I think for, for European football as well, I think you need Manchester City in the Champions League. You know, what I mean, they're one of the best sides in the world. When they get it right and they play the football, you know, they can play. Everyone loves watching them. So for me, listen, I know they've broken the rules and they've, they've been punished now. They've got the 10 million, but I'm glad that they're going to be in the Champions League.
2: I, I I don't share the annoyance, even though it could have a direct implication on my team, because I've never been a big fan of financial fair play. I don't understand how it is fair, because Mm. basically it punishes people who want to invest money in their football club. For example, if the Newcastle takeover ever goes through, and that's probably looking like a bigger if as the days go by, why shouldn't their new owners be allowed to pump money and turn them into a genuine powerhouse?
3: Of course. It's... It comes across as a protection racket, doesn't it, FFP? It it protects the big interests of Juventus, AC Milan, Liverpool, Manchester United, Chelsea. Those clubs that are already established as Champions League powerhouses and and sort of shuts the gate behind them, trying to stop others from coming in, which I think is against the the principles of fair play. I think we all want sustainable football. Uh, We all want the game to be able to be played within some sort of financial constraint so that, that there is a sort of sporting integrity to it. But at the same time, I mean, you, you can't allow one team to spend a load of money because they've established over the course of 100 years uh, an amazing fan base and therefore they can commercialise that and then not let anybody else get involved in it over time and, 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 and
2: build a future. And I think you have to credit Manchester City for standing by their principles. They came out very early and said they were going to fight this all the way what they have been found guilty of is not assisting with the investigation. There's still no actual clarification whether they did break any FFP rules because UEFA left it five years to actually charge them. Okay, North
3: London derby. Quick word on that. Spurs less of the ball, but more of the chances. Uh, is that the Jose Mourinho way of doing it? Uh, Arsenal fan and former Spurs forward Darren Bent?
5: Well, to be fair, yesterday I thought Arsenal were the better side I thought they had good chances they obviously scored a great goal hit the bar dominated possession but defensively as we know woeful um, so I mean Spurs I thought yesterday were poor yeah you're right towards the end they're the better of the chances Harry Kane had a couple we had that one early on where he tried to love the goalkeeper and the Arsenal goalkeeper I thought had a, a very very good game yesterday but on the whole I don't think Spurs were very good yesterday he hunted Mustafi
3: quite- though didn't he Harry Kane that like, literally yeah. stalked him
5: he did, yeah. But but that's the thing. When you play against Arsenal, you know that they're going to have these lapses in concentration. It doesn't matter how well they play, for as long as they play, at some stage they're going to give you an opportunity. And it's whether you take that opportunity. But for me, yeah, it was it was a big, big result for Spurs. Didn't play particularly well, but I've got the job done. But I think that the whole no supporters in the stadium has done them a favour because there's no one on the planet. And I know firsthand, if you're not playing well at Spurs, the fans will let you know. But because there's no fans in the stadium, they've been able to play this way. So there's no real pressure on the players.
3: Um, Darren can I just ask a personal question Uh, have you You been working out a lot in lockdown or did you bring those NFL shoulder pads with you because you're wearing an NFL jersey today (laughs) and it it looks like you've got the full kit underneath your shirt your shoulders are so wide what have you been doing
5: nah to be fair just before lockdown I'd I'd built a gym in the house but it just happened to coincide with the whole lockdown where there was um, you were smashing that gym haven't you I've been absolutely yeah living in there, <laughs> but yeah it's gone um yeah it's gone particularly well. But listen, it is what it is, isn't it? At the end of the day,
2: why'd you not praise my muscling?
3: <laughs> because because one you haven't got one. Two, I don't think you have bits in the inside of a gym for a very long time. In fact, Paul, you have seen the inside of a gym. You just haven't used it, have you? He, go, he, he joins the gym every now and again. He'll go to me. I've joined the gym. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna have an afternoon in the health suite. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, let's get to the big hefty games. McGoldrick reacts and smashes the ball home, and all three points are going to Sheffield United, and Chelsea's Champions League hopes are falling apart at Bramble.
4: I don't want to dwell on the the game at all. It can happen in football, it can happen to any team in football. Hence why I, I quickly want us to move on.
0: And that is it Norwich City's relegation is confirmed. They have been totally outclassed yet again at the highest level. It was more or less expected, but I also feel especially sorry for, for our supporters and um, for everyone who's connected with City, because we were of course greedy to create another miracle after last season against all odds uh, we were not capable to do this and uh, of course yeah, we feel sorry for our, our supporters.
3: Chelsea versus Norwich is an 8.15 kickoff live on midweek game day. Well, Chelsea were abysmal defensively at the weekend. Absolutely shocking, yet somehow they're still not out of the top four. We must praise Sheffield United, though, I think, and we'll get to their game with Leicester very shortly. But dress it up however you like. United had four shots on target in that game and scored three of them, and they should have been four up when Mousset puts wide at the end. It highlights a weakness for Chelsea in two areas for me, Darren. At the back, but mentally too. And that's not good when the other teams in and around them still have a chance of
5: overhauling them. Yeah, defensively, they've been poor again. Um, The goals were suspect. We've questioned the goalkeeper before. I don't think he's up to scratch. I think they need a new goalkeeper. But first and foremost, they need a centre-back a big physical centre-back and someone who can actually defend and is going to take charge because I thought Rudiger was going to be that person who was going to step up and, and be that real leader that they've lacked. He's been real suspect, you know what I mean, decision-making, especially the West Ham game where he allowed Jan Malenko inside to, to score that goal. So I think at the back, you're right, mentally they need to find a way of, of keeping clean sheets and defending really, really well because although I put them in the same bracket as Arsenal, they are better defensively just than Arsenal. They still, they still can't see out the game.
3: better off of than Arsenal as well, aren't they? Y- yeah, but still, oh.
5: I, I still think with <laughs> if if Chelsea go one up, I don't think they're the same kind of team that can kind of see it out and just no. kind of, you know, I mean, see out the game. They've got to go and score two, three to win games, and and that's just a recipe for the disaster. So for me, in this in this window, they need to prioritise. They've got Werner in, they've got Zayt in, they need to go and get Center in.
3: Must do, must do. That's definitely what they have to do against Norwich. It's all about winning. I'm sure that they will win that game, and I'm sure they'll wrap up yeah. some goals as well because Norwich are. Are pretty poor. What do we make of Norwich and their approach? I sent out a tweet after Daniel Farker spoke in light of their relegation at the weekend and it said this, if you go into a season telling everybody you've got a 5% chance of survival and that with these players you will go down 19 times out of 20, is that realistic or defeatist? Is it a motivating tactic? Either way it didn't work. What do you think, Crook? Well,
2: I believe by saying those things at the start of the season, he's basically given his players a free hit. You know, there's no pressure at all to to win Mm -hmm. matches. They know they're only here for a year. And uh, for me, a mutual friend of ours, Sam, hit the nail on the head last night when he said, what I don't like about Daniel Farker is that he's spoken all season as if Norwich have won their place in the Premier League in a raffle. And, And I can see where he's coming from. I mean, we all thought they had a nice set of fixtures coming back after lockdown. The fact that they've gone down now 24 defeats from 35 games minus 41 goal difference I mean it, what? still the most incredible result of the season was them beating Manchester City because it's yeah. so out of context with, with the rest of their form and you're right for Chelsea needing to bounce back they're the perfect opposition it's, it's going to be an avalanche of goals again it's going to be a heavy home victory but just on Frank Lampard as well I think I'm right in saying that's a, a record now under the Roman Abramovich era of 11 defeats in a single Premier League season so he's got a lot of plaudits. Frank Lampard, but perhaps Chelsea's lofty position at the table is more down to the mediocrity of some of the other big
5: clubs. Yeah, I done
3: Maybe. And I think that um, Frank Lampard sort of addressed that when I spoke to him on Saturday night. I mean, he did refuse to answer the question about how you deal with the fact that everybody's targeting high balls into the box. He said, don't ask me that question now. Um, And then he said to me um, that he didn't think that many people were talking about them for top four. In a sense, he has done well, but I think you're absolutely right. Arsenal, Tottenham have been so mediocre, um, and the biggest challenges they've had have come from Leicester, Sheffield United, and Wolverhampton Wanderers, and that in itself says a lot about
2: the Premier League. You, you were more confident, though, weren't you? Because yeah. I remember when Chelsea were hammered on the opening day, you sent a, a message to me saying they'll still finish above Manchester United. I did. did you know about that? I did.
5: Oh, you get nervous now though, because they're coming. <laughs> United are coming. <laughs> Long
2: way to go. Long
3: way to go. <laughs> Right, let's turn our attention to Leicester. They're uh, even less confident about finishing in the top four than Chelsea are. What on earth happened to them on Sunday night? First half cruising, second half hitting every single possible iceberg, Darren.
5: Yeah, it was poor. I mean, the red card didn't help. I mean, absolute brainless what he's done there. Because, and to be fair, when I first seen it, I didn't even pick it up until I saw it on VAR, and it's clear as day. And that's probably one of the only decisions they've got right at VAR of recent times. But um, other than that, I don't quite know what's going on. Miss Chilwell and Miss Madison—they're just not playing with the same intensity that they once did. I mean, the one positive for them, I guess, is Vardy's back scoring now. And I thought once he he got back scoring, I thought Leicester would then start getting results in again but it hasn't worked out that way they're not as I said playing with that high intensity that they were they're not creating the opportunities they were they're not defensively as strong so they, they need to go back to basics I think and as I said it is a big miss when you miss Madison and Chua and these guys but as I said I still think they've got more than enough and I think if they do drop out of the top four which is like it could happen. Um, I think they'll only have themselves to blame, and I think they'll look at that as a disappointing season. Like, I don't really want to hear that. Well, Leicester were never expected to finish in the top four, so them finishing, I don't know fifth is is a very good season. Well, no, because when you've been in the top four all season, and you had and you've a thirteen played well point had-
3: advantage over fifth place at Christmas,
5: exactly that, that there is, is unforgivable, really. So that that would then say, well, you, you've had a really a poor season because I know where you were at the start of the season. Do you know what I mean? You were that far ahead, and for others catch you, and then you fall fall by the wayside after lockdown. I think that's really really poor from their from their perspective.
3: Far be it from me to criticise Brendan Rodgers, who I have got a healthy amount of respect for, and I think he's a very good coach, but this is incredibly similar, isn't it, Crook, to the season in which he took Liverpool very mm-hmm. close to the title with a huge points gap. They were five to two on after they beat Norwich
2: with three, four games to go to win the title, and then it all collapsed. Yeah, I guess what you could say the difference this season is that the capitulation has, has come a little bit earlier, but but maybe that does raise question marks about Brendan Rodgers' ability to motivate players and, and get them over the finishing line. For me, Darren's talked about the the absentees. I think the biggest miss, arguably, has been Ricardo, yeah. um, who was a big part of their game plan for most of the season. And since he's been out, the team they've they've shuffled with formations. Obviously, they've gone to about three. They've played different people at wing backs. He made a strange change at half-time in that Bournemouth game as well, taking off Iron Atcho. Um, and, and that really invited Bournemouth back into the game. So I think Brendan Rodgers is now for the first time maybe being questioned by, by Leicester fans and in that scenario, the last team that you want to face is Sheffield United, of course. especially as they've found their mojo again. So, this could be another difficult night for Leicester.
5: Do you know, when I look at Brendan Rodgers as well at times, I feel like, yeah, he's a top manager and he, he's been brilliant at Leicester. But I always ha- kind of have had the feeling that he's always got his eye on the next big job. Like, I always kind of feel like he, he, he was at Liverpool. He'd done well. He probably feels now that he did do well and he deserves to get another top job, like when the Arsenal job was available and these, these type jobs. So when I look at him, I often think that, yeah, he's done fantastically well for Leicester. But is that where he truly sees himself or does he see himself at one of the you know I mean that the big quartet of teams that are at the top of the table I know Leicester are there but you know what I'm saying you know what I mean
3: Yeah um, look Sheffield United press you crunch you they force you into mistakes I suppose that's the worst sort of fixture that Leicester can imagine especially when as Crook has already pointed out three of their first choice back four are not going to be available probably now until the end of the season um, I spoke to Olivier Giroud after the game on Saturday night just as he was going down the tunnel we just had a quick chat about Sheffield United and he said they're an absolute nightmare to play against and the difference between them and Leicester is they are a model of, of consistency now they pick the same team they pick the same system they know what they're going to do and at home they're an absolute they're they are
2: a ball ache to play against and they're just enjoying themselves yeah, They're loving that, that it. was that was evident against Chelsea so they can go into this game under no pressure all the question marks are going to be about Leicester and their collapse and Brendan Rodgers it just plays into Chris Wilder's hands and I enjoyed his interview with you Sam after the game when you you tried your best to cajole him into saying they were European contenders <laughs> and he said well I've got my passport but that's only for a holiday they might do it now Sheffield United and listen they deserve a place in Europe next season I'm not sure it'd be great for their Premier League aspirations but hey, yeah, the thinking right. that.
3: <laughs> first time I've ever seen him sort of just a little chink in the armour that he started to think that it was possible he, he couldn't avoid the question he he obviously tried to snake around it but he knew he knew it was coming uh, Leicester dropped points at Bournemouth uh, they failed to win for a 14th time in 19 Premier League matches that is why they are dropping away from the Champions League places right after the Monday night uh, football what's Manchester United state of mind going into this game with Palace who have their feet up if Sunday was anything to go by Crook
2: I do fear that United may live to regret conceding a 96th minute equaliser Credit to Southampton, they never know when they're beaten. And Ralph Hasenhutel to manage to keep them motivated and keep them fighting despite the fact they've got nothing to play for, he deserves a lot of credit. But it's just a lapse in concentration. And I might have to play left back against Crystal Palace with Luke Shaw hobbling off and Williams suffering a nasty facial injury. For the first time since the restart, I thought there were one or two United players who looked a bit tired. Uh, Bruno Fernandes was out on his feet. Martial running on empty as well Greenwood wasn't in the game so Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's got a job on his hands now because it's a test of character as much as footballing ability they might have to win every game it might come down to a, a final day showdown against Leicester Palace are probably the side you would want to be playing at this moment in time especially at empty Selhurst Park where United have had some problems with the crowd in, in the past how do they respond to a setback well we're going to find out aren't we and um Again, they're at the disadvantage because they're playing after Chelsea. I mean, Chelsea are going to beat Norwich. Leicester play Sheffield United a couple of hours before United kick-off. If Leicester win that game, the pressure is going to be intense. tell you what, it's going to be a fascinating finish, but not one for the faint-hearted if you're a Manchester United fan, that's for sure. Yeah we we wanted to make it work for us of course it's we we didn't know how long it was going to last we we made sure that everyone did uh what they were asked to do keep fit look use it as an opportunity to um, to come back stronger of course Marcus and uh, Paul back fit Mason has grown a few kilos so it's we've been brilliant since the lockdown uh, or since the restart so um uh, disappointed tonight but we'll shake it off and move on to Thursday I, I mean
0: it's an amazing way to finish it um, coming in at 87th minute I'm thankful I could have got the equalizer so it's an amazing performance for the boys as well so just thankful I could have Hope the team to get draw.
1: Well, it has ended. Manchester United 2, Southampton 2 after an awful lot of injury time. But it was in that injury time that Saints have snatched a point, much to the delight of Ralph Hootel. Well, Manchester United had the better chances and should have probably wrapped it up as it was. They were outdone and done at the very, very end of this. A corner whipped in by Ward Prowse, flicked on by Bednarik and there at the far post was Oberfemi to just turn it in. A big point for Saints. Manchester United will stay fifth now. They could have gone third and put a bit of distance between between... between Chelsea and Leicester. As it is, well, disappointment for United, a great battling point for Southampton. Full time at Old Trafford, United 2,
0: Southampton 2. Hold that please, level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to urge in the Bypassal rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to urge in the Channelized bin bingus of the Bypassal rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh yeah, that sounds important.
1: Does work chat sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky
5: conversations. Making
1: work make sense? LinkedIn knows how.
5: Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare insurance plans underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company. They offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com.
3: A big win in the North London derby for Tottenham. There haven't been too many highlights this season for Spurs so they will be revelling in uh, that one. Uh, where does it leave Joe Zenny's relationship with the fans though, Darren? Because if you construct a league table since he took over, Tottenham are fifth. Why doesn't it feel like that?
5: Because of the way they playing, and the fans will look at the, the way they're getting results. Um, they look at the football under Pochettino and how free-flowing it was, it was always on the front foot. Um, whereas Marino's type footballs kind of a bit a little bit negative, bit of caution, you know, defend first and then once we've sorted that, then start to move forward. So and I've said it before, like if the fans were in the stadium, they wouldn't they wouldn't be happy with this. The Bournemouth result, the nil nil, no shots on target, that they wouldn't have put up with that. And even the North London derby, you could say, they didn't really come out the blocks. They weren't overly cautious. You wouldn't say they played that free flow and attacking football yeah, that we used to see in Spurs won. play. They yeah, won. they won and they. But I'm telling you they won but even the Spurs fans who I spoke to after the game when they did win they weren't happy with it. They Why? Were like, they, it, it, it <laughs> Why
3: aren't they happy? Mean? Why
5: aren't because they happy? Honestly, they were not happy to the way they are playing because they know that it was locked because I thought after were the better so how, side. how do
3: they it, want them to play? They want them to play uh, like Maurizio Pochettino who lost more games than anybody else across Europe's top five leagues in the final 18 months of his reign.
5: Listen, Sp- listen Sam, I'm not a Spurs fan so I can't, <laughs> I can't, I can't, I can't say that but for, for, from my perspective they just but saying the way that... It's, it's, playing, it's, it's, it's hilarious,
3: isn't it? Because basically if you do look at the table since he took over they're fifth in the in the table he, he was mm-hmm. keen he did say like a brilliant little quote in these post-match press conference, where he said look you know I don't want to be selfish but you know I, if I was going to be selfish I'd point to the fact that if we started the Premier League when I turned up we'd be uh, towards the Champions League places but no it's not about me <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> clearly
3: meaning it is all about me look how good I am uh, but uh, Crook I suppose you've had quite a good week actually haven't you because you've written Bournemouth off I had to uh, sort of adjust your tweet <laughs> (laughs) about relegation and I I just wonder if Jose still sucked all the life out of Tottenham as you said on Breakfast with Alan Brazil last week
2: well he definitely did in the game that I watched (laughs) at Bournemouth Um, (laughs) listen I'm struggling to get too excited about this game and I still think he he sucks the life out and even in the glow of victory against your near neighbours by saying it's not all about me he's making it all about me now Darren if you're one of those Tottenham players who've just come out and produced a heroic victory when a lot of people have written you off and then you hear your manager taking all the glory for himself. How does that go down?
5: Yeah, it doesn't go down too well. But I, I, you know, I think, though, quickly, I think when you're in that, that dressing with Mourinho, you half expect it. Do you know what I mean? you? You know, You know he's going to say something. You know he's going to bring out the stats about... And he will know exactly how many points he's got since he took over and, and the position of Spurs are in. And do you know what I mean? It's just one of them things that you know what Mourinho's going to say. But in his defence, he's going to say, well, it's there. The stats are there. He's obviously took Spurs to fifth since he's got in charge, and even though the footballs not been great. I've not enjoyed watching it. He would just say, "Well, the results. What do you want me to do? Do you want me to do you want to play good football, but not win any games, or do you want to, do you want to play this kind of?" stale football but get results when we get close to the Champions League spot so it is, it is it's what kind of brand of football you want to see and me personally I mean I wouldn't enjoy watching it but if they're getting results then you can't really argue against it
2: it's not so much that you would enjoy watching it I still get the impression the players don't enjoy playing it I mean yeah. only look <laughs> yeah. at the, the body language of Harry Kane in that game at Bournemouth when he had more defensive clearances than he had touches in the opposition penalty area and, and let's, let's remember as well this is not a pub side that Jose Mourinho inherited okay They lost their way under Pochettino, but they reached the Champions League final last season. But for a dodgy handball decision, they might well have gone on to win the Champions League. So (laughs) I'm not having that he's overachieved, and we've already touched on it. Outside the top two, maybe three now, if if you count Manchester United's late revival, the rest of the league are rubbish. So Tottenham should be in the top five when you look at how the likes of Arsenal yeah, it's been a
3: poor Premier League run hasn't it I mean when you think that Liverpool have got such a big gap to to even Manchester City in second position their defence of the title hasn't been particularly impressive and the defensive frailties of, of all of the teams actually below that apart from Sheffield United and Wolverhampton Wanderers have, have been a real letdown Tottenham's defence has been a, a major issue and I think you know, they'll be pleased they're, they're going to play Newcastle United who have caught a couple of colds after getting a, a bit of a big up on this show and the, the fans there and not having Steve Bruce are they at all the data suggests that they are worse than Norwich over the course of a season if you look at their expected points that they should be bottomed by some distance the supporters maintain that they are bad to watch it's the worst football they've seen in a long time I don't know how much of that is the fact that they weren't having Steve Bruce right from the very beginning because they thought he was a Mike Ashley puppet but but ultimately even though they're safe they're not happy either are they
5: well no they're not and I think it's harsh on Steve Bruce because I think he's done a very good job um, he's, he's he inherited the squad he was my manager at Sunderland. and Jerry yeah he was I mean it's probably the reason you- I reckon we just spoke about Mourinho inheriting that Spurs squad well he's inherited a squad as well where they lost their two best players in Perez and Rondon so and then they overspent money on Joe Linton so for me he's done an exceptional job and you're right he was always losing a, a battle anyway when he got there because they didn't want him there in the first place but they've managed to get take maximum firing Almiron's come good um, so they've managed to pick up key results when they really needed it and I think he's done an f- absolute sensational job when you look at the players that he's got. But you're right, you just you just know for a fact that the moment this takeover happens, if it happens, that he's gonna be out the door straight away. And I think it's harsh, but at the end of the day, people they loved Rafa, they thought he was brilliant, he was like the Messiah. But it was I always kind of felt like the, the Newcastle fans felt that they, they shouldn't have got Rafa, which is why they love him so much if that makes sense. Like because he'd been at Liverpool and all his top jobs, how have they got managed to get Rafa Benitez Whereas when Steve Bruce was coming in, it wasn't exciting. So I think it's been it's been harsh on him, but I think he's done a very, very good job.
2: I'll tell you what, when the first manager is sacked next season, if Steve Bruce is out of work, he'll be the first name on on the list for me. I mean, I, we touched on it before. I'm, I'm a big advocate of Steve Bruce. I don't understand the Rafa for loving. I don't think the football they played under him was that much more pleasing on New the Castle eye. Newcastle
3: fans say you didn't watch it, so you don't know. We've had to go every single week. I'm so, only repeating what they've said to me when I've said exactly what you're saying
2: now. Well, just because we're not in the stadium we, we still watch enough football to, to, to make a reasoned judgement and I think at the start of the season if you'd said to Newcastle fans that you'd be going into a game against Spurs possibly challenging for a place in the top 10 especially after the start they made remember they got off to horrendous uh, beginnings to the campaign they would have taken that so I think Steve Bruce has achieved all the objectives set out to him okay um, Tuesday six o'clock Burnley against
3: Wolves Pope performed miracles at Anfield and he's certainly not a holy. Goalie. Um, They ended Liverpool's 17 stretch winning run, which stops them from going through the whole season at home with an unblemished record. Pretty impressive from Sean Dyche's team. How well has he done, Darren? And is it time for him to move on at the end of this season? Because he can't keep doing this with Burnley, surely?
5: Yeah, he's, listened. he's done fantastically well again with them to get them where they are in the league. I mean, you, you, he deserves all the plaudits, but it's just, where does he go? I mean, I'm, I'm, you, we always hear managers are that they, they need to go to the next level. But for them to go to the next level, there's got to be opportunities there for them. And right now, when I look at um, amongst the league and where he could potentially go upwards from Burnley, there's no one really there that's, I don't think there's a job there waiting for him. So all he can keep doing is is eking out results, which he's been doing. Great performance again against Liverpool. The goalkeeper, as you said there, has been absolutely brilliant Pope I mean I'm still a Henderson fan but um, I can understand Pope being in the conversation Listen, he's, he's done fantastically well. He does deserve to go to the next level because there's only so far you can take Burnley before it does become really, really tough with the budget and, and obviously the, the the lack of investment into the club is in Ghana getting a, a certain type of player. But it's just again, where does he go? And, that, and that's the question he's probably asking him himself: is that he he probably like to go and have an opportunity to like say before Ancelotti got Ancelotti got the Everton job, he probably would have liked to take that step and gone, okay, that's a step up. But if there's job's not there for him, he can't just I guess he can't just leave.
3: And, and every every club now is especially at the top. Pen of the Tab has had massive investment and they all want a sexy mm-hmm. manager, don't they? And with all due respect to uh, <clears throat> Sean Dyche, that word isn't usually bandied around in, in, in a sort of description of him.
2: He's got a sexy voice.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yes, he has. Um, Darren?
5: Yeah, so um, listen, I think if, she, if Sean Dyche had been given the investment, the money, then maybe he could, he could have played a, a sexier type brand of football, but he can only work with what he's got. I mean, he's done a very, very good job.
3: So, yeah, you're right. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Wolverhampton Wanderers, uh, pretty impressive as well. Uh, This is an an odd fixture, crooking away, and you've got two teams that are going to play two strikers. But if you're looking at the betting market, I reckon the the favourite is nil-nil.
2: Well, yeah, Um, just because Burnley are are so good defensively and Wolves don't leak any goals either. I was impressed with Nuno uh, at the weekend because a lot of Wolves fans were were fearing their season was going to come crashing down Mm. as well, and. He was proactive with his team selection. He very positive. Sent a very attacking lineup out. He, he obviously spotted the evident flaws in the Everton back line. In fact, in the whole Everton team, they were dreadful. But but that's what a manager's job is it's to, it's to spot that you're in a bit of a rut and, and make positive changes that are going to change your fortunes. And who's to say Wolves can't now go on and, and have a really good end of the season? I think this is a difficult fixture for them. If they were to win it, then, then maybe Chelsea will start looking over their shoulders because they've got Palace at home and then chelsea on the last day so in many ways this match is going to be pivotal to whether wolves can challenge for the top four or not
3: okay let's whip around three of the premier league games while showing our expertise as we jump on a bit of roulette rivalry producer lucy will give us one of the weekend games to preview against the clock hello lucy
1: hello i don't want to show any favoritism oh good um, so who wants to go first?
5: Oh, I'll go first. I'll go that way. Cheers. Darren,
3: Darren, look at that. He's straight oh, up, Hand up, very keen. Bean.
5: Oh, oh, it's a good one. Oh, don't give me Burnley Wolves.
1: Would you want to pick one yourself? Then yes, yeah, go
3: yeah. on. Hold on, he's got his hand into the bag. What have we got?
5: <laughs> Man City, Bournemouth. Oh, There you go. I'll take that one.
2: And your time starts <laughs> now.
5: Uh, Manchester City flying again this season Um, yeah come second but since the lockdown's restarted absolutely smashing teams left right and centre another five goals Um, Raheem Stern is playing really well another hat trick and Bournemouth getting an absolute massive result 4-1 against um, they beat 4-1 again should we start again no keep going Leicester. 4-1, they beat uh, Leicester. Thank you very much for that. So they're obviously going to be riding high in confidence. But listen, when you've got Manchester City coming into town, it's it's always going to be a difficult ask. Manchester City will keep the ball, keep possession and weigh down eventually open doors. But the Bournemouth have got to stay positive. They've got to stay compact and try and hit, I think, Manchester City on the counter-attack with the pace of Stanislas and Josh King and, and even Solanke getting his first two goals in 18 months. I think that's massive for the football club and massive for himself. So obviously, hopefully now he can start justifying the 19 million price that they put on him. Stop.
3: There you go. um, you had a little bit of a wobble midway through, but don't worry. Do you want to help wins. me out, no? No, 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 not at all. <laughs> um, Manchester City have won their last two Premier League games by five-plus goals. The last time that they won three by five-plus goals was September 2017. I suppose Eddie Howe's job here, Crook, is to avoid that happening. I think, you know, strategically, both Watford and Bournemouth have got to play Manchester City between now and the end of the season. And the job is to make sure you
2: don't concede many goals, right? (laughs) Absolutely. In fact, I had a phone call from a concerned Watford staff member this morning just saying, what happened to Bournemouth? You've been writing them off for the last few weeks. And I said, look, you know, Leicester were shocking in that second half. I still think they'll go down. Obviously, I hope they don't. But he was saying, we've both got Man City to play. Goal difference could be massive. It could come down to who concedes the fewest goals. And actually, (laughs) you would argue that Nigel Pearson and Watford are more equipped to go there and take less of a pummeling than Bournemouth. Yes, Especially but in, with no
3: Nathan but in a- their last two games against Manchester City, they've conceded 14 goals and scored none.
2: <laughs> that doesn't make great reading, does it? But um, yeah, listen, Bournemouth without Nathan Ake against Manchester City, I mean, there've been some surprise results over the course of the season. If if Bournemouth were to get anything from this game, that would probably be the biggest shocker of, the, of them all for me.
3: Okay, let's move on. Noose, what's next?
1: Okay, Sam,
5: you're
1: next. Oh, yeah. I hope it's a hard one. Hey. You've got Arsenal v Liverpool. Oh. oh. Yes. Uh, you saw that then as well, Darren. It was That was
5: random. I didn't see
1: anything. <laughs> <laughs> okay, time starts
2: now.
3: Um, okay, so after Mikel Arteta became the first Arsenal manager to lose his first North London derby since Bruce Rioch in 1995, uh, this game is only about two things isn't it for Liverpool it's about breaking records Mo Salah trying to be the top scorer Bamiyang trying to chase the same title and Arsenal trying to save a little bit of face they're a young group they're building something I must admit I've seen them a few times over the last few weeks and I thought they looked so much better now than they did earlier in the season but you will get fluctuating Results in the transition period, uh, they still have a way to go, especially with that defence that looks as if it's always got a mistake in it. I mean, whoever believed that Kalasnych, David Luiz, and and Mustafi was going to keep people out over the long term is probably a little bit crazy. West, I wanted to get him a stat about uh, Arsenal giving away leads, but obviously, I just was. We'll share it with the group now. now. Well, basically, since Mikel Alteta has uh, taken over as the manager of Arsenal, no team has given away more points from winning positions don't let him walk your dog <laughs>
2: <laughs> I haven't got a dog what's next
0: do you know what you've got
2: I think I've got a little South Coast showdown haven't I you do you have Southampton
5: the Brighton rigged anytime starts Nil nil. no, no.
2: <laughs> well Darren's just predicted a nil nil draw so cheers for that because I'm there for talk sport <laughs> Um, It's a derby that isn't really a derby because there's actually quite a few miles of coastline between Southampton and Brighton. But there is a bit of rivalry going back to the 2010 2011 season when they were both competing for the League One title. Brighton fans took a real dislike to Nigel Adkins, so that adds a little bit of extra spice. And and there's, there's records on the line here as well. Danny Ing's also a contender for the Golden Boot, might fancy his chances against a Brighton side who've been hapless at the back in their last couple of matches. I think Brighton are just about safe. I know their fans are still worrying a bit looking at the results of the weekend, but I think 36 points should be enough to keep them in the Premier League. And Southampton, one of the stories of the second half of the season for me, they're stop. fifth in the form table since losing 9-0 to Leicester. Do you know what stop means?
5: to <laughs>
1: <was gonna> say.
2: <laughs> so cheeky. Uh, Brighton should be okay, shouldn't they? I mean, they've, they're
3: fifteenth, 36 points, and Bournemouth have got five points less than them. So Bournemouth would have to win two games at least and Brighton would have to lose all of theirs.
2: Brighton's fixture list isn't great though, is it? Goal difference as well. They're on minus 16, Bournemouth minus 24, Villa minus 27. So that basically gives them yeah. 37 points. So they're so, free, you know, free pass. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Pass. And, and I think it's been an okay season. Um, they've already reached the same number of points they got under Chris Hutton last season. Graham Potter is is trying to change the style. I saw a tweet from a journalist the other night actually saying Brighton next season will he be comfortable in, in the top half mid table, or they'll go down with twenty five points. And I can see what he's saying because when they are bad, they are very easy to beat. Well the problem
3: is is that you've got Liverpool, Manchester City, Chelsea, Manchester United, all of those teams are going to reinvest going into the the, the, the summer. You've got Sheffield United who have played above their average. Okay, we don't know what's going to happen with them, but Tottenham will improve. Arsenal, you would have thought, will improve. Everton under Carlo Ancelotti will improve. Southampton aren't going to be as bad this season as they were last season if the back end of this campaign is anything to go by. Newcastle uh, could possibly be taken over by a Saudi Arabian consortium and have loads of money to spend. Leeds will have a go, won't they? Leeds, Leeds would be half decent. So like, you're talking about already seeing a, a huge a number of big clubs at the top half of the Premier League and then everybody else fighting for places so you have to be very very careful don't you Darren
5: you have to be careful and, and what you're saying there, I do think I'm quite excited about as you said their leads I'm quite intrigued to see what they're going to do so you, you're probably right there to be fair Like, there, I think there is going to be a bit of a divide I, again you look at the very very top of the table I think there's going to be a big divide between Liverpool and, and Man City I think them two are going to be clear and then there's going to be a pack of teams with maybe about five or six and then after that I think it's, gonna, it's a free-for-all
3: Let's get to the Dream Team Butler before we look in detail at the relegation pitcher. Well, well, before we look in detail at Everton against Aston Villa, which is a Thursday night game. uh, And speak to the butler himself. Hello, how are you? Yeah, very well, Sam. How are you? I'm fine. I'm a little bit perturbed about the fact that, you know, during these strange times, the familiar is something I seem to grab hold of and and, and cherish into the bosom of my chest. Um, And every week for, I can't remember how long now, I've had a little window into your world by doing this podcast, looking behind you and having a look at um, uh, the the wonderful surroundings in which you keep keep yourself. But today you've taken us into your bedroom. Is this a development in our relationship or what?
4: (laughs) It's been been weeks, so it'll be around about the right time if that was the case. But no, I've just changed location today. Very temporarily. Okay.
3: Um, Right. Okay. So what have you got for us this week? Butler's Banker?
4: Uh, Yeah, I have to just go for Raheem Sterling because that is the banker of all bankers now. Um, He's got 261 points this season, which is the top of all of the Dream Team charts. Uh, Man City played Bournemouth at home. They've won back-to-back games 5-0. I don't give Eddie Howe's men much chance. I, poor Eddie Howe. I, I love the guy, but he still looked like a broken man even after winning four-one against Leicester. Um, Sterling's now fifteen points clear at the top of the uh, Dream Team charts ahead of Mo Salah after his hat-trick against Brighton. So I just thought, look, let's play it simple. It's uh, it's the start of the week. Let's just keep it easy. Let's pick Sterling.
3: Yeah, we're not going to go in on you two-footed today. And the reason for that <laughs> is, is that we're going to wait until Thursday when Darren Lewis is joining us and he's going to do it for us. Um, Butler's Beauty? Yeah, well, after I um, called him out for my big bet, Jamie Vardy's come up big. He has. Um, he has. I mean, he had a bit of a helping hand from Gene Kelly, sorry, Lloyd Kelly, uh, on uh, <laughs> on Sunday with his little Singing in the Rain act. Um, but he's got
4: four goals in his last three games, 5.3 million in the game, uh, 202 points, so he's passed the 200-point threshold, uh, which is, you know, a pretty, pretty impressive for uh, for Vardy. Um, and Leicester have got Sheffield United at home, which could be, a, I think, a really, Really interesting game because Leicester aren't looking, in, you know, in great shapes, and um, and and Sheffield United got a huge win against Chelsea. So um, he's got two and two against Sheffield United in his he career.
3: Loves this game. This is Which
4: is his um, Mr. Which, Mr. Sheffield. <laughs> well, could play into his favour, but uh, yeah, I'm going to go for him um, as a beauty.
3: Okay, a Butler's big bet is performing miracles all over the place.
4: Yeah, um, as a pope should. Um Nick Pope is topping the uh the goalkeeping scoring charts on Dream Team this season now. Um 114 points for him. He's in the game at 2.6 million an incredible display against Liverpool. Um but Burnley play Wolves who were pretty impressive against quite a lackluster Everton it has to be said. Yeah. Um but uh if Pope keeps another clean sheet he's just edging that bit closer. Quick word on the goalkeepers.
3: I suppose we should touch on this Crook. Um Nick Pope Jordan Pickford, Dean Henderson, all pushing to Beagland's number one. I mean, Jordan Pickford's doing his best to sort of highlight that um, he's not really in the greatest of form. And Nick Pope obviously going in the opposite direction. But I- I've still got a feeling that Nick- Dean Henderson is the long-term successor.
2: I think Gareth will be loyal to Jordan Pickford, certainly in the short term. You know from private conversations, I'm not his biggest fan. I think he's actually too small to be a goalkeeper and his lack of height is is part of the reason he makes so many mistakes. But out of the three you've mentioned, certainly since the restart, Nick Pope has been the most consistent. Yes. So if you're picking a player on
4: form, he would have to get the shirt. Uh, Butler's bargain? Yeah, I'm going for Son Heung-min. I mean, he's, he's a bit more expensive than my usual bar, uh, bargains um, at 4.8 million, but he's still under 5 million in the game. And he's actually only picked by 5.6% of managers. I mean, to put that into some sort of context, Anthony Martial's at a similar sort of price and he's picked by 9% of managers. I think people wow. want to go for a Spurs player and they always go for Kane. Um, Aubameyang... Uh, is picked by twenty nine percent of uh, of managers, and um, he's he's got nine less points than Xiang Tiong Min. Is that so, because people just look uh, at goals and just
3: think, oh, we'll get the top goal scorer? But actually, Son does so much more, doesn't he?
4: Yeah, and Son picks up, yeah, ways. picks up points in different ways. You're right. Um, so he's got 188 points. He'll he'll probably break the 200 point mark uh, again this season. So, yeah, worth getting in. I don't think Spurs were were fantastic against Arsenal, but um, you know, worth a look if if you're looking for a cheapish striker.
5: This is the worst thing of today. The attitude of the player, the spirit. We didn't show good spirit. It's true at the beginning we were a little bit in control but without intensity, the play was not good, the attitude was not good, so it's a day that we, we need to forget quickly. It's banging the same drum to be honest, That they are good enough, they've proven it over time, We've, we have improved since the, the break, there's no question of that, although the point tally doesn't show that. Um,
3: and it's a case of us, you know, we're fighting for our lives. The players know what it means to, to go in
4: to get relegated and I can keep banging the same drum and the players know what what's at stake.
3: Everton against Aston Villa is on Thursday night and it's a huge match, isn't it? Because the relegation picture basically... Sort of shifts on the outcome of this match. The way it looks at the moment Norwich relegated 21 points from 35 games. Aston Villa, second from Boston, 30 points from 35 games. Then Bournemouth, 31 from 35. Watford, 34 from 35. And then West Ham, 34 from 35. Three points separating Bournemouth, Watford, and West Ham. Four points back to Aston Villa from West Ham and Watford. Aston Villa, if they don't win this game, probably are admitting that they're going to be relegated and may well end up being relegated the following night when Watford and West Ham clash at the London Stadium. However, it's tighter than we thought it might be a week ago, bearing in mind that Watford, West Ham, Bournemouth, Aston Villa all won a game.
2: (laughs) Yeah, bearing in mind, I think they'd only picked up six wins between them since the restart before this run of fixtures. It really is an incredible six sequence of results. Six points, wasn't it? Results. Was, it six points, was six
3: points? Six points out of 81, I think.
2: It, it, wow. That's an incre- incredible sequence of results that we've seen. Um, I think if you were playing anybody at the moment and you really needed a win, then Everton would be high on the list yeah. on what
5: we've seen. And then, and then Crystal Palace.
2: Yeah. So I think, you know, that worried Watford employee, I think he was probably more concerned about Villa than Bournemouth and then they've got Arsenal at home haven't they yeah Um, I'm doing that live for
3: talk sport actually
2: and again Arsenal you you just don't quite know what you're going to get it looks like they won't have anything to play for because Manchester City's ban means the Europa League places are probably only going to go down to sixth they're not going to get in the top six so yeah maybe Villa have given themselves a fighting chance I still think their win at the weekend was more down to how bad Palace were than how great they were but it, it, it keeps it interesting, doesn't it? I mean, yeah. you, you you mentioned my tweet, which I haven't edited, by the way. I still stand I, I didn't by what I said Saturday it. night. That,
3: that was off air. I didn't say that on air. So you've just landed yourself in it there. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, I still think the bottom three will go down, but it's going to be a bit more nervy um, than maybe we expected. And it'll be fascinating to see how West Ham and Watford approach their game on Friday night because... I think I said last week, they will probably just play out a convenient draw. Mm. A convenient draw might still be enough, not, actually. Not
3: sure, not sure that you would do that if, well, Aston Villa and Bournemouth could have already have won their games. So a convenient draw won't be acceptable. I, I think West Ham will go for the juggler in that game. And I think West Ham are a
2: better team than Watford, and I think they'll probably win it. Darren, what's your views on the uh, the relegation scrap?
5: Uh, I think Listen, it was strange that they all won as I said when, when West Ham won and Watford they probably thought Oof, right that, that's that's kind of job done but then when Aston Villa got and get that result it's it, it, it was crazy um, I still worry about Aston Villa in regards to that. I don't think they score enough goals um, I mean the two goals they got from Trezeguet were uh well, we'll good goals, but I, I still think that they, they don't create enough. I think Grealish is trying to play in the wrong areas. He's trying to do a little bit too much. It, it'd be different if he was more, if he if he had more goals about his game. He'd be picking the balls up in areas that could really hurt teams. Like, do you know what I mean? In behind, in behind the midfield. But he's he's coming too deep to get the ball, so he can't he can't affect the game as much going forward.
3: Is he a Manchester United player, a top four player, Jack Grealish? Because he, he, as you say, he seems to hold onto the ball quite a lot. And if you're playing in a team like that. The quickness of movement and recycling the ball and, and circulating it very quickly is important, isn't it?
5: Well, you, you look at the, 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 top, the top four, for instance. Well, he's not going to get in Manchester United's team because you can't, you can't have a midfield with Pogba, Fernandes and Grealish and that, that's not going to work. So he's he not going to go there. Manchester City, they don't need him either. The, the only place, honestly, I can see him Gan in this next window is Tottenham because I think they're crying out for a player of his kind of quality, someone who can unlock doors. Like Deli Alley. we know he can do it, but for whatever reason, he's not been doing it for, for a long time now. So that's the only place I can see him him, him kind of doing it is, is at Spurs. And I think they're generally, that's the type of player they kind of go for, young English type midfielders. Daniel Levy won't spend the money though, will he?
3: I mean, he's got Depends to spend some money, hasn't he? Because otherwise they're going to find themselves at the back of the queue, aren't they? I mean, you know, they're already... Well, it's,
5: going che- it's going to be cheaper if they go down, surely.
3: Yeah, but they thought that yeah. last time, didn't they? They, they could have got him for like 15 million last time. They, Tottenham tried to buy Jack Grealish but wouldn't um, access the release clause, which I think was 15 million quid at the time. It's crazy.
2: In, in a way, it's difficult to judge if he can be a top four player on what we've seen this season because he's had to carry the, the burden of a whole city, really, in many ways, on yeah. his shoulders. And opposition managers have cleverly marked him out the game. Maybe he could be one of those players who, in a better team, um, c- can take advantage of the space that will be afforded to him but I don't know if he'll thrive in a better team
3: because I'm not sure that he comes across to me like he'd he'd, he'd take instruction particularly well I think he likes being the
2: big fish in a a smaller pond well he didn't take instruction about lockdown rules particularly well did he so I guess we can only judge it on that
5: Now, nah, listen I think I think he can do well at a top club but you're right it's the responsibility um, and you know, plan to assist system. and you're right Grealish is kind of a bit of a maverick footballer you call it where he likes to pick up the areas even though he's not necessarily got the licence to go into these areas and get the ball they'll give it to him because he's the best player so will he be disciplined enough to stay in his position and wait for the service. That's probably the question mark you have to say that probably surrounds him.
3: Everton have only kept one clean sheet in their past 17 away games in the Premier League, conceding at least two goals in 10 of those fixtures. They're not much better at home either, where they'll play this game against Aston Villa. Their only clean sheets in 2020 was that rather odd game on a Sunday night against Liverpool and a game against Burnley. And if Ancelotti decides more youngsters is the recipe, he's clearly testing people out for the new season. We could see another Villa lifeline, couldn't we? I mean, they keep getting getting thrown them, don't they? GDS not working,
2: winning Sunday, things going their, their way. Yeah, and listen, if, if, if uh, anyone deserves a break, it's the happy-go-lucky Dean Smith, isn't it? Um, oh. oh, ouch. <laughs> it's a good time to play Everton, as, as we've already mentioned, and I believe Ancelotti will be sounding out the squad, but it's a squad that's in desperate need of reinvestment. They've got no pace in the team, although my understanding is that Ryan Fraser might be the answer to that I think that's his most likely destination um, they still lack a, a natural scorer. Calvert-Lewin seems to have dried up a bit defensively they need reinforcement as well it's, it's a squad that needs a lot of surgery we know the owners have got money but so far the money they've spent has not necessarily been invested in the right place yeah but
3: it, it's going to be very difficult for them to spend a load of money this summer isn't it bearing in mind that they asked everybody to take huge pay cuts and there was a lot of staff placed on sort of uh, wages wage deferral. so I know that the CEO wrote a, an open letter during lockdown in which he sort of praised the attitude of the squad and the, the first team management staff for taking those pay cuts. But I don't think you can sort of then go and invest, you know, 100 million quid on the squad after asking people to do that. So I think it'd be interesting to see how much money they actually do spend, bearing in mind they're building a new stadium as well. Be a bit of a test. I mean, obviously, um, FFP will keep a close eye on everything, as it, as it will do with everyone. <laughs> From now on, uh, right, Darren. Thank you very much uh, for uh, what has been another cracking show, and hopefully we'll see you soon. Go and work on thank those you very shoulders.
5: Much. <laughs> I order do indeed. Don't worry about that,
3: uh, Crook. Uh, you go and work on your shoulders.
2: <laughs> by lifting up a pint or two yeah
3: uh, the Ultimate Preview is back on Friday when Crook and I will be joined by Darren Lewis please rate and review and tell all your friends to download too don't forget we've got live commentaries on Tuesday night Chelsea against Norwich and Wednesday night uh, when Tottenham go all the way to Newcastle it's only on Talksport. Sport I, I, I don't know I still don't want it to end
1: Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how.